Acton is a podcast series created by young Londoners for young Londoners on the challenges we are facing in London and what we can all collectively do to overcome them. This is Act On Hate Crime. Hello and welcome back to Act On, the podcast. My name is Bradley Brookles and I am presenting this episode on hate crime. Um, so this is going to be probably a little bit of a heavy episode as we discuss some really intense things. So um, just be aware that we will be discussing violence against marginalized communities and identities. Um, I am personally an LGBT plus YouTuber and activist. Um, I have experienced some minor incidents of hate crime in my life. Definitely not enough to where I feel I'm necessarily qualified to be a voice on the subject. But we want to talk very intersectionally today about hate crime and how it affects people and identities um, and also how we can be allies to people um, that do experience hate crimes um, and the unfortunate reality of these statistics. So um, I'm joined by two uh, incredible people today and I would like you both to introduce yourselves. So um, let's start with you, Justin. Hello. Hello, um, everyone. My name is Justin and I am from Croydon. I'm a personal trainer and a content creator. So I tell stories through different mediums such as like film, and yeah, just creating things that really kind of tell stories and cut through the cut through the noise. Fantastic. And we'll go to you, Andy. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, I work at a charity called Protection Approaches. Um, we work to prevent all identity-based violence. So any act of violence perpetrated against someone because of things like their race, their religion, gender, ethnicity, whatever it is, it's actually just an identity in the eyes of a perpetrator. Um, so that can be anything about an individual and this could be hate crime it could be violent extremism and it could even be things like genocide and mass atrocity crimes overseas um, my work is very focused on what we can be doing in local communities to prevent these things from happening how do we build really strong caring communities when nobody is targeted because of any aspect of their identity okay that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, sounds like really, really important work. Um, so while we're talking about like hate crime, um, I think that it's important to sort of be aware of um, the statistics that are out there and and what is actually going on. Because I hear all the time from people that surely hate crime is going down as societies and especially in like Western countries are becoming more progressive. But um, the reality in, in many cases is actually the opposite of that. Um, last year, there were 103,379 hate crimes recorded by the police in England and Wales which is an increase of 10% compared with the year before. Um, so what we're actually seeing is an increase um, in hate crimes. Um, and then even if we look, um, you know, you're talking about like sort of local communities. Um, so in, in London, um, LGBTQ plus hate crimes have actually gone up 55% in the last five years. Um, so what we're actually seeing are enormous issues that are unfortunately growing and not um, decreasing. Uh, so one of the first things I want to ask you guys is... Um, why do we think hate crime is getting worse? Okay, so uh, uh, a big question. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so I think there's, there's, there's lots and lots of issues here, right? Certainly, we do a lot of work with people who face hate crime, prejudice, discrimination. And, and beyond the statistics going up, um, or the, the level of recorded hate crime going up, what we are hearing a lot from people we work with, from communities that are marginalised, is that they feel more afraid, that they feel there is more taking place as well. So the statistics is one thing, right? But it's also that people feel it uh, in, those, in those local communities. I think the reason that some of, this thing, some of these things are on the increase or feel like they're on the increase has to do with local community having disappeared in many ways. Mm. 
when we had a recession in 2008, a lot of those local services that knitted communities together started being slowly removed. Slowly the funding dried up for so many of these things. And maybe that's like the tiny thing that seems like it doesn't matter, like the Somali women's group that met on one Thursday a week in the local uh, community centre. And it seems like if the funding that rented that room and paid for uh, a, a couple of hours of a coordinator's time and bought the teas and biscuits, it seems that if that disappears and that group doesn't meet anymore, well, what, what real impact is that going to have? That's not going to change much, is it? But when we have thousands and thousands of things like this being removed, we have those things that bring communities together, the things that get different people to be able to meet each other, the things that mean that those who face difficult times can be supported, like they slowly start to, to disappear. And that leads to a position where both there is less support in place for those who are likely to be the victims of these kind of things. But it also means that people uh, who would perhaps have met lots of different people in their community don't have as much time to spend around people who are different to them anymore. People who... Um, used to have things that helped them feel like they would have a really positive future, that, that they had a stake in their local community, that there's things that, that they could do to change things they didn't like around them. Those things have disappeared for those people as well. And when we know that when those things disappear, when people feel like they don't have a stake, that, that things are changing too quickly around them, that they can't affect the things that are happening in their local communities, they start to take out on other people. And so that's where I think a lot of it comes from. This actually started many, many years ago, and we're now starting to feel the effects of it sort of 12 years later. Yeah, because I would, I would pick up on grassroots as well. Um, growing up in Croydon, which is very kind of multicultural and, and diverse, even obviously broader London being very multicultural and diverse. I was always remembered things such as big lunches happening and where we shut down streets and um, large scale celebrations where you could just see other people and other families and celebrating and being happy and you can actually talk to them. Um, I can't remember in the bus past couple of years, sorry if in Croydon this has been happening all across London, where there has been a big lunch celebration or celebrations on such a scale where it is very inclusive. And um, I do understand that, because when you do look at big celebrations that, that happen in London, such as um, Pride and, and such, and all, I know it's very inclusive to, to all genders, faiths, religions. There's still kind of a lot of segregation. And I know sometimes segregation is can be needed so people can feel safe. But at the same time, we need to always concentrate on inclusivity. So I think it's, it's very important. Yeah, it's just it's growing up, like having those small instances where I could actually see someone different to me and have a conversation. And even growing up older now, so some of the some of the friends who are kind of most different to me, so I, I may not understand how we, we even have maintained such a friendship on paper, but then it's just because we find a common thread between us, which which makes sense. And I think, yeah, once that once that's removed, you go back to that kind of surface level and it's all kind of maybe stemming from ignorance or fear or just not understanding. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that when we don't see certain people around us in our communities, it's easy to kind of other them. And then I think also when certain communities um, are dealing with their own issues, sometimes it's easy to kind of scapegoat mm -hmm. um, yeah. other communities and other identities. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it definitely stems from a sort of a lack of understanding. I think that when we connect communities together, then um, we can kind of break down some of those barriers and realize that we're all human beings in this crazy life experience together. <laughs> um, going back to the statistics, um, so if we look um, all the way back at 2012 to 2013, that year, um, so 
hate crimes um, have actually doubled in, in how many have been reported um, to the police. Uh, so do you think that one of the things going on here is that simply people are actually just um, being emboldened to report hate crimes more? Do you think that's also why there's a rise in these statistics? And is that potentially a, a, maybe one kind of very, very small positive we can take in all of this? I, I think so. My opinion, I think, as well as obviously, it's not nice to hear that hate crime may be on the rise at the same time. People are being more aware to saying no. I'm just gonna say this that that's not okay. Whereas people feel scared to 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 report a hate crime or to say like I'm 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 a victim or something and um, feel othered in that situation. Realizing that it's not okay is definitely the first step. So yeah, it's a bit of juxtaposition they're going on, but um, it, it's it's really nice that people are actually standing up and saying this is this is not right mm-hmm. and yes yeah, it's, it's it's progressive and it's important absolutely yeah um yeah. personally like when i reported my quite minor incident of assault um i called up the police and i was kind of you know non-emergency number and i was like this is what happened to me does like and i was you know like i don't even know if i should be reporting this like this is exactly my experience like um and they were like of course you should be reporting this and they're like this is a hate crime like you've experienced a hate crime and it's great that you're reporting it um and it was really cool i mean i hear a lot of conversations around people not feeling supported by the police these days um and i'm not really gonna we don't need to wade into to that but I just know that personally when I called them and they were like yes this is a hate crime it's so good you're reporting this you're putting this on that map of statistics and that's needed uh, to help us understand um, you know what can be done to combat this um, it was just so affirming um, and I think that like it, it helped like I had it, it took this very 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 negative experience in my life and made me feel suddenly more safer and like okay there there are people out there that are potentially like looking out for me um, which was absolutely incredible um yeah what do you think Andy uh, yeah yeah I think I might wade into the police bit actually if you don't okay, mind no um, it. <laughs> like it's uh, it's really positive to hear that you had such a positive uh, experience with the police and that's that's brilliant and incredibly important um I absolutely I think we know right that that some of the reason the numbers of reported hate crimes have gone up is because more people feel able to go and report or feel that it's important to go and report as well. There's something about like feeling that, that, that it's important you go and tell someone what's happening. And I think people have done fantastic work to try and encourage more people who might have been nervous to go and go and speak to police to be able to go and do it. But <laughs> uh, we know that the number of people reporting is, is far, far fewer than the number of people experiencing hate crimes. And so many of the people we work with, we we work particularly around hate crime um, in East London. And and we've been working to try and encourage some uh, reporting in communities that were reporting at quite low levels and and had a number of barriers in the way of reporting, be that around language, but also trust in police was a, a huge one. And a lot of what we found in discussions with those people who tell us like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've experienced that all the time. Like the first, actually, the first thing we've got to get past is like, why would I report that? That happens all the time. I'm, I'm used to that. You know, that's just something I live with. Yeah. Once you've got past that point, there's, there's real issues around people who actually get to the point where they feel brave enough to go and report and have a really difficult time with the police. And I know the police are overstretched and I know they're busy, but I think there's a lack of understanding on, on some of the side of the police in some areas. Not all. Some are fantastic. Mm. On exactly what you just said like the importance of how a victim of hate crime is deal, dealt with so that they feel 
um, like you said, like affirmed afterwards and don't feel like they're being stupid reporting something like this. And, and sadly, that's not happening everywhere. And actually, if we could get more voices like yours saying that to police forces and to the police, as well as the voices of people who have had the more negative experiences yeah. explaining how that's made them feel afterwards, then actually we can perhaps start to change some of those those responses. I would say, and outside of the police, um, are there any organisations which... Is can you you can maybe go to for support or to report something and it doesn't have to be within that kind of realm. Yeah, so so the way it works is there's actually lots of places you can report a hate crime. Um, you can report like through online forms uh, in in various places. Um, like you did, you can call like the non-emergency number. Uh, like you certainly don't have to go into a police station. We've worked uh, to set up a number of community re reporting sites and things like libraries and yeah. community centres. Quite often you can report through those means anonymously, which means your report is taken and that is logged in terms of the numbers. So that is logged as a hate crime on the national statistics, but it then really isn't investigated so much afterwards because yeah. they can't go and speak to you as a, as a victim or a witness. If you report with your name and your details, you're going to then have a contact follow-up with the police. And it's often like that follow-up contact that is the most important thing in how someone feels afterwards. But yeah, people can absolutely report without having to go into a station or through ways that they feel much more comfortable. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I think that's really important. Um, do we think that people have a responsibility to report the things that happen to them? Because I, I know a lot of members of the LGBT plus community, and I can think of one friend in particular who just experiences hate crime all the time. And it's kind of that thing, like you said, where he's just like, oh, this happens to me. This is just what happens. It's just life. I don't want to waste anybody's time, you know, discussing this. And, and my thought, and what I always tell him is I'm like, look, this matters. Like, how are we going to create a culture of, of change around this if we don't report things? And at the same time, I can understand why someone might not feel like it's their personal responsibility to report their trauma, or maybe they don't want to have to keep engaging with the trauma that they've experienced. So I, I understand. I can see things from both sides what do you guys think is there is there a responsibility i think there is responsibility um you made some interesting points there because i think a lot of uh, microaggressions that happen to us in society um we, we, we play ourselves down a lot of the times and we kind of say um no one's gonna listen and this is just how it is um it's not how it is and i think when we start realizing that people like the police may have gone through experiences or high high chance they've probably gone through experiences themselves and um i suppose you can call them allies in, in, in that sense. So behind that kind of their authority, authority thing is they, they're human and they might have gone through something that you've gone through and can take it personally to, to push that agenda forward. And you never know what could happen positively if unless you make that step. So I, I, I think it's 100% important. I don't think anything, any hate towards you, any feeling of othered in, in the world we live in, you have every right to be part of this world and, and be feel safe. And yeah, and as I, I would say, if you, you're not the only one who might have hate crime towards you in that certain way, so do it for somebody else as well. Do it for someone else who may be a little less brave to come through or, yeah, I think by, by using our voices together and by, by making steps, we can make change. And hearing different voices, hearing hearing people's experiences is so important. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think that, that point around doing it for someone else is a really strong one, right? Like, we know that... If more people report, it is taken more seriously at a national and local level. But also, like, if you don't report what happened to you in a certain area, yeah. maybe the police can't go and stop it happening to someone else yeah. from that same perpetrator. But, like, but like, important, maybe not, um, what's the word you, are there, is it responsibility? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, it's tough to use that word, right? Because sure. because if someone's the victim of something, it's perhaps not their responsibility to to have to go and do anything about it. Sure. I think we can all help everyone understand why it's important. Yeah. And we can all actually be much better at supporting people who have been the victims yeah. to be able to go and yeah. um, report. Like, maybe sometimes it needs to, someone to hold your hand a bit I, and make I, you feel... I've had that experience yeah. um, personally. I've tried to... so. I tried to understand what could have been fueling it. Um, it was a situation that happened on a bus when I was on the way to work. And it was this, a, a, a man and a woman um, who in my, there were strangers and, and from what I gathered from it and I saw it from for a while is in, inappropriate um, touching happened from the man to, to this lady. And she did reprimand him on the bus and when they, when we came off the bus at the same stop, I heard uh, this horrific scream from the lady, and I saw him running off, and I was really, so, I, I didn't know what was going on, so I tried to look, see what's going on, and um, she was in floods of tears. And when I caught up and actually heard the stories, he actually um, assaulted her on the street, mm. and I was, I was really shocked because no one actually done anything. Like, like it was about five minutes after, and she should be carried on walking, and. Uh, I, I was just I was I was looking back and like no one had rushed to console her. I said, "Are you okay?" And these are people that's on the bus who might have witnessed the, the situation as well. And I went up to her and I said, "Hey, I saw what happened. If you need anyone to 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 be witness, um, let me. I I, I can I can hold your hand. Let me just sit with you and let me make sure you're okay." And um, I we actually empowered her to report that crime. Mm. And when I reflect on that situation because that was one of the main situations that's happened which I've actually stepped into that role um I wasn't too sure if it was if it was a hate crime personally I don't know if, if it was just an assault or a hate crime I'm, I'm still trying to get some understanding around that but I did support her in that moment I said let me just do you know what I mean I've, are you okay asking these questions and it really kind of shocked me that I was able to do that but it was that small moment I didn't go chasing after the person or, or do you know what I'm trying to say like and I said if more people could do that we could make change and and perhaps there's a really good point right about if we're talking about where the responsibility lies because i don't think any of us necessarily want to say that a victim has a responsibility to do something they didn't put themselves in that situation and so they don't necessarily have responsibility that comes out of that situation but actually you don't have to be a victim to report you can be a witness to report a witness can report any any hate crime as well so perhaps as witnesses we have a responsibility to do that whenever we see it um and just in like as you were saying, you weren't sure around what is and isn't. Like, whilst hate crime is really complicated, um, the simple way of thinking of it, I suppose, is like any crime has been committed. Yeah. There has been some sort of crime. And you think, as a witness or victim, that the reason that crime was committed was because of an aspect of someone's, well, race, yeah. religion, yeah. transgender identity, uh, sexual orientation, or a disability. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's the definition. But also, never try and work out whether you think something hits the level of a crime or not, because that's yeah. the job of the police, right? If someone's shouting abuse at someone, yeah. I, I don't know if that's a crime or not, but yeah. I would be reporting that if I saw it, yeah. because the police can decide. Yeah. And I suppose, like, obvious signs of language used as well. In, in in around certain crimes, mm-hmm. um, that could be a, a massive kind of I I do you know what I mean a way to identify yeah. whether that is maybe possibly fuel, fueling that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just small like but language and microaggression is used around mm-hmm. that. And you could think it's a crime for I mean you could think it was based on yeah. one of those characteristics yeah. for any reason. Like say it could be language. Yeah. And often often we think of it like assaults and things, yeah. but you know. Uh, graffiti that says something like yeah, is yeah. is is a hate crime because yeah. yeah. it's criminal damage and quite often we see things that say yeah and things that are quite people yeah exactly yeah. yeah 
Yeah. So I think that we can, you know, I think it's good to say, yeah, maybe victims necessarily don't have a responsibility, but I think we can all agree that passerbys do have a responsibility and that we need to hold witnesses account way more often. Um, and, and that kind of goes, I want to talk more later about what we can do to curb hate crime. And I think that that's, you know, kind of one of the number one things. So many people that experience hate crime talk about how everyone just walked right by it. Nobody intervenes, nobody calls the police, nobody says anything. Um, but I want to touch on something real quick, which you just brought up, which is the definition of hate crime, um, and, and religion and sexuality and all these different identifiers that, um, can cause, you know, instances abuse against you. Um, when we talk about identif um, identity labels um, that we include in hate crime, we include all those things in the definition. But um, legally, which I find really interesting, um, and this is also going to get a little bit political, but um, those things are not actually legally equivalent. So there's different legal punishments for different um, hate crimes. So for instance, a hate crime on the basis of LGBTQ plus identity is not punished to the extent that it would be for race or religion, um, which personally I think is totally unacceptable. Um, um, but that is the the law that's in the UK right now. So um, I want to pass that question off to you guys. Do you think that um, we should be including all of these things on the same level in terms of the actual legal, um, you know, punishment for these crimes? I think so. Yeah, hundred hundred and yeah, I I I, I think so because I, I, you you can't lessen a, a a hate crime towards somebody else because then again, what that shows and what that does is creates that kind of other effect and says that I'm I'm not important or my things not my my crime my issues not going to be taken as importance um but I do I am I am aware that the LGBTQ plus laws and 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 things around things around that especially in the UK is going through a lot of different change and going through a lot of different progression at the moment and I know the community have faced a lot of different um issues so I I do I do hope that it's something we can kind of be a vehicle for and and talk about that in very short answer to your question like yeah it's crazy right like it's 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 mad absolutely yeah no i, I completely agree um I, I personally find it very very frustrating and i think that if we create um, legal equality in terms of how things are punished i think that we could also potentially see a change in some of these statistics um in the sense that obviously you know making lgbtq plus um hate crimes punishable the same as religion and race it's not going to necessarily stop um hate crimes against any of those um um, identity labels. Um, however, when we look at the, the sheer 55% increase in LGBT plus hate crime in London and look at the fact that that is not punished the same by the law, um, I think that there is a correlation. Um, and I think that, um, you know, people need to be held accountable for their behavior. And if they think, oh, if I punch this person because of my, the, uh, how I perceive their identity and I'm not going to get the same level of punishment for that as something else, you know, they, they might be more likely to um, unfortunately engage in those behaviors. Uh, so I think that's a huge part of it. There, there is currently um, a law commission inquiry that has been going on, I don't know how long, for around the definition and the the current um, kind of, you know, system around those definitions and, and what's going to happen with it. Can I also mention, um, do, do you get a lot of evidence-based? Uh, when, when a hate crime does happen, is it um, advised to collect evidence as much as you can? So videos, pictures, is that something which... Yes, essentially, obviously okay. anything that can help the police identify uh, what's happened or perpetrators, very useful. But just to throw in, uh, never share any of that stuff on like social media or anything okay. like that without the victim asking you okay. to, right? which yeah. I guess is like often uh, something that feels like what someone yeah. wants to do. Look, yeah. this terrible thing I saw on the tube. Yeah. Uh, but often right, that's like... Because there has been such a rise in people sharing hate crimes happening on social media. 
and that being kind of like a, a bit of a viral trend at the moment. And uh, and in some cases, faking hate crime. Faking hate crime, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there's yeah. been huge viral stories of hate crimes um, that were sort of created for viral attention. Um, and um, and in some cases, people have been prosecuted for that. Um, so that, that is also part of the conversation when we talk about social media, yeah. But then I would say, is that a form of self-empowerment? People actually sharing uh, a video of a crime that's happened to them. Um, obviously, we can get into the legality of whether it, didn't, it did or didn't happen. But do you think that's, is, is it tricky for people to want to share and to share what's happened to them? I think if, if a victim wants to, then that's absolutely their choice. Okay. I just think it's, it's difficult if someone witnesses, starts recording on their phone and then uploads it, because actually that's the victim's choice, right? Whether, yeah. whether that, that video or images of them yeah. essentially under attack yeah. should be being seen by the rest yeah. of the world. Because yeah. a lot of people do feel like if, if they can't step in, I want to step in, maybe if I, if, if I record it, it could be of help. So I suppose, yeah, yeah, I would say, yeah, do not, record, do not post it anywhere. Use a go up to the victim and say, "Hey, I, I did catch it." So there's always we can be, we can help out, and that's just by support. There's yeah, there's definitely a conversation on self empowerment. Like I have a friend um who got beat up for being gay, horrific, posted about it online, um, and he received a platform for that to which he he was able to help people um that had experienced similar things, and and that actually I think is is a cool form of empowerment. Um, I do think you have to be very very careful because um I think that um you, you know you have to make sure. A, what you experienced was a hate crime. You know, you can't experience something negative and, and some people will read into something and think that maybe it was because of their identity when it wasn't. So you just have to be very, very, very careful and there's legal ramifications of all of that. Um, and then the dark side of that is with people wanting to gain audiences online, um, to use something like that disingenuously to gain a platform is just absolutely despicable. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure we can all agree on that. Um one of the things I want to talk about is, um, so I like, I'm presenting this episode and I am a cisgender gay man and, and, you know, I have all these labels and I have experienced, you know, quite minor cases of hate crime, um, because of my identity as a gay man. And then likewise, though, on the flip side, there are cis gay men that have, you know, oppressed other minorities and, and been, um, you know, aggressors in cases of hate crime. And likewise, I think with a lot of these different, um, identity labels, some of them oppress other identity labels and there's communities that unfortunately are, are making other communities victims of hate crimes. And, um, there's a huge, you know, there's a circle of abuse. <laughs> and, um, one of the things I want to talk about is how we in different communities with different identity labels and, and, you know, different minority statuses can learn about each other and be better allies to the other communities and, and to kind of fight collectively, um, and also hold our own communities accountable for, you know, the abuse they potentially perpetuate on other communities. Yeah. It's a big, big question. What do we think we can do? Oh gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> you can start. Um, I'm, I'm always such a, um, a big believer of bringing different people's voices to the, to the table, bringing different people's voices to the, to the, to the stage, to, yeah, to, to the stage, to the platform. And because I don't think you can grow and, and broaden your mindset and horizons unless you are open to listen to other people. And you could be that person who is open to listen, bring someone along on that journey with you. Um, someone who you feel that could be be open to to sharing, to, to, to opening their mind really. And yeah, you can't make anyone do what they don't want to do. You can't educate anybody. You can, you can only try. So I'd say really look in, in yourself and work through what you can do to better equip yourself and be a lot more open-minded and equal. And then using whatever platform you have or whatever opportunities you can to, to, to kind of break that, 
to break that down because and I was just remembering that you may have gone through something similar or you might know someone who's, who's going to go through something similar and how would they feel so so because you, you don't want to live in this kind of culture of until it happens to me I'm not going to do anything yeah I know that's kind of really a, a main strategy more of this, more of this statement or manifesto I mean, I, I think that was a strategy. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I think these, this, is, this is exactly what, <laughs> yeah. what we talk about and what we work on um, at the charity. Like, we know, right, that the, those those tiny bits about make us who, what make us who we are, those, those identities that we think make us different to each other, they're like one tiny bit of us. And that when people have a chance to get to know each other and spend time with each other, they, they, they see a, a person a complicated person yeah. that they tend to quite like. And we can build and help build empathy in others for the experiences other, others go through by helping them be able to tell those some of those stories on whatever platforms that we can organise, be that through podcasts or just like in a local community setting where there's there's three people there and someone's able to 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 tell some of like what they have to go through and and we've all got to be better at listening as well right like yeah. we've got to be better at listening to others and believing what they say and thinking about how that must feel yeah. instead of perhaps sometimes we're too quick to disbelieve that someone has faced these things that they yeah. say they do yeah um but like yeah for us it's all about how do you how do you make some of those interactions happen um, and that's exactly what, like, your first, where you first went to. Right? Yeah, yeah, because I think people are more complex than what you see. And people are more than one thing. People can be more than one thing. And we can all bond and find similarities, yeah, in our stories and our struggles and our differences. The other thing I'd, I'd just add on that, like, I, I think I think a lot of times when people do something that we feel is prejudice or, or is hurtful to someone of a certain identity or number of identities, it's very easy for us to, to shout that person down. Yeah. And I think what something we could all be doing that would help the situation a lot more is to assume, even if even if it's not true, assume that person um, is misinformed rather than is is trying to yeah. to hurt someone. Because yeah. actually, if we show them kindness yeah. and help show them why they are misinformed and and how they are hurting someone else, we're gonna improve the situation much quicker than if we say, I don't know, you're a racist. Yeah. Shut up. I don't want to talk yeah. to you. Yeah. I yeah. could not agree more. I mean, in the, we're living in the age of cancel culture and I speak with a lot of people in my circles who I, who I love and respect, but they will say, well, you know, I, I don't have a responsibility to be, you know, kind to someone who's lashed out. And, and I understand some of that sentiment, you know, especially to people in very marginalized communities that are constantly dealing with abuse for their identities. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I am always happy to sit down and have a conversation with someone who does not believe my identity is real or does not believe I have a right to live or exist. I will have a conversation with them because I've grown up in those communities. I grew up in a world where I believed that I did not have, or, you know, a right to exist. And, um, and so, you know, I understand that place of ignorance. And I think that if more people, um, had, you know, a cross community understanding, we yeah. would see so much more empathy. Um, so I think you guys both brought up some incredible points. Um, Andy, you brought up disbelief. Which is one of the, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this was, um, when I wrote my article about hate crime experiences in London, um, both generally and about my own experiences, an overwhelming response was absolutely not. That doesn't happen. Really? I don't believe you. London's a liberal paradise. That doesn't happen in yeah. London. You know, and the list goes on and on and on. This is like an overwhelming response. And a lot of them were people that, that just were like, oh, I've been to London. It's a very progressive place. I didn't have bad experiences or, you know. Um, so I think that London, especially as a city, is seen as this, you know, paradise where everyone can be safe and live their best lives. Um, and people just didn't believe that the actual physical statistics on 
hate crime here. Um, do we think that there's something dangerous with that image of kind of paradise and, and the and image of safety? Um, do we think that we need to hold, you know, um, the cold hard truth um, accountable to to the general public who seem really, really naive about the reality of these statistics? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. I do because there's so much to be proud about from London. Like, I'm super proud that I'm from London. I'm super proud um, of the people I was, I've managed to grow up with and the people I can, um, I can interact with now. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I do think there needs to be, um, yeah, show that, that even though it is, yes, a super kind of melting pot of different people, there are people in, in this world and in, in London who don't get it or um, are yet to get it. Uh, I, w- I don't know how to go about that. I said, again, I, I just think it's, it's being honest. It's being honest. It's, it's, it's being proud, but also being yeah open to the realities of things. And, and once again, going back to listen to each other's, each other's stories. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, some of it's a fine line, right? Between some of what makes London great. And I guess part of London's identity is this, this tolerant, open, place right where 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 difference is respected and because that's part of london's identity i think that encourages people to to feel that way and that's great and we don't want to destroy that we don't want to we don't want to suddenly be like actually no it's an incredibly dangerous place where no one likes each other because i think that can breed actually the distrust that 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 then snowballs right and also we don't want to to a lot of people that i work with in in east london when when certain things have happened they start to um like uh, self-isolate. Yeah, recall. Um, yeah. They don't want to go out as much anymore because it's it's frightening. Um, they hear that there's lots happening in the local area, so why would I want to walk down the street wearing my hijab? And then that can lead to, like, other issues around mental health and around loneliness and, and these kind of things, right? But, you know, we've just got to make sure people are listening to, like you were saying, stories of, of actually the things individuals face. Yeah. And that we encourage them to come to that with openness and, and to, to believe what they're saying. And Andy, as I said again, I think seeing, because um, a lot of the times you hear spaces specifically where people can feel safe, but also showing more spaces where people are actually being inter interconnected, seeing someone of two different faiths or two or, or someone of different disabilities and coming together, actually showing a general relationship. Because a lot of the times we say, this is a perfect example of a safe space. This is a perfect example of a safe event happening. This is this is this is this is safe, which is needed. I said again, it's that kind of paradox that is needed. But then again, can we can we see positive images of relationships actually happening? Can can we see? Yeah, can can we see that without without fear and judgment? And I think that's what when I actually look at my own experiences, um, that's what's missing. A lot of the times when you look into into the media and, and, and things of that nature, it's it's kind of like you have to be with your own to feel safe all the time. Or you no you. You know what I mean? We we are we are thrusted into this world where we are have to work with each other. We have to be around each other, um, and that that there's there's positives in that. So yeah, I think more more representation, in my opinion. Yeah, representation is so 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 incredibly important about changing minds. And there's definitely people in certain groups that will grow up thinking I'm in this group, but I could never be in that group because we're sort of raised to believe these notions and um, and we break that down through representation absolutely um okay i have one more question <laughs> um we i mean this whole podcast has been 
really essentially talking about ways that we can combat hate crime. So I think that we've already talked a lot about solutions throughout this podcast. Um, but um, what is our advice to people out there that um, have these identity labels, um, like someone who wants to walk down the street wearing a hijab and is is worried about the backlash from that? Um, what can we say to those people that have these identity labels that are afraid of hate crime and, and that don't walk the streets feeling safe, um, which is, is, is sad. So yeah, what would we say to those people? I don't have a great answer to that, to be honest, because if it, like we've been saying, like there, there is a problem. It, it's not like as big and huge as perhaps it feels to to some people. But I don't want that to then sound like I'm saying they shouldn't be feeling this because that's 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 not why I'm here. And perhaps we just we just throw it onto the rest of us and say, like, actually, it's for all of us to make sure that when someone is walking down the street, if they face anything, like, we are right beside them, um, making sure they feel safe, saying to them, you know, hey, my name's Andy, I'm here, I can walk with you if you like, uh, I'll stay with you until you feel safe, it's up to you. And actually, we just make sure that whenever someone is out, then they know that there's a whole community that backs them. Yeah. So if one thing does happen, they don't need to be afraid. And perhaps that's the best I can say on it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with what Andy said as well. It's It's doing small things... So, so doing small acts, doing um, a smile, possibly complimenting somebody to make them, because you, you don't know how unsafe or someone someone feels. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, the small things can make the big changes sometimes. And if you do um, have a platform or you, you, you are fortunate enough to be in a place where you can actually uh, cause bigger change, that's great as, as well. But yeah, I do think we, we, we all can do small things to, to make someone feel safe and to maybe people out there who don't feel safe. Um, there are great organizations out there. There's people out there on social media who are going, might experience the same thing as you. They've got some great advice as well. So I think we're living in such an age where there's a lot of different avenues available to you. Yeah, I think those are great, great pieces of advice um, from both of you. Um, and I also think going back to what you said earlier about representation, I think that's huge as well. Because I know for me, like being able to walk the streets and feel safe, um, even after incidents that I, I have experienced, um, when I look at other people that like are doing the same thing and, or, or are even going bigger and bolder and being more expressive with who they want to be, um, I feel then more empowered. And I'm like, if that person can walk down the street being their best self in an area that maybe isn't the safest, um, you know, what then can I do? Um, um, and then, yeah, also knowing your resources. Yeah, I think those are all great, fantastic points. So while we're talking about representation, we're aware that um, the people recording this podcast right now are not the um, greatest pool of diversity. So we really wanted to get some other voices in. And unfortunately, our other voices were not able to physically make it here today. But luckily, we were able to get some recordings from them. We're really excited to hear from Izzy on Hate Crime. Hi, my name is Izzy Joan. I um, am a non-binary human. And I'm going to talk a little bit about hate crime in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, so research identifies that 40% of LGBT people experience hate crime each year and recorded homophobic and transphobic hate crime continues to rise with the police recording 11,638 sexual orientation hate crimes in the UK, which is up 27% from the previous year. Meanwhile, 1,651 transphobic hate crimes were recorded, which is up by 32%. And there's another statistic here that says that 91% of LGBTQ people experiencing a hate crime will not report it. So those numbers could be potentially 91% higher. We don't really know. Additional discrimination is also faced if you are of intersecting minority backgrounds. So if you're BAME, lower income, disabled, uh, then you're also more likely to experience hate crime. So it really is like 
I would say a lot of queer people are experiencing hate crime on a really regular basis. And yeah, for myself, I am really fortunate. I've never been like overtly physically attacked. Uh, most of what I get is yelled at and like general stares and words and words that I can't say here because they'll be edited out. People like to call me. Um, but I think there is just sort of a general feeling of it not really being safe. Um, but again, I'm white and I think I get it a lot easier than a lot of people. Um, but I'm also non-binary, so I get it a lot harder than a lot of people. So also people who've experienced a hate crime are over twice as likely to face serious emotional impacts, such as difficulty sleeping, anxiety, panic attacks, and depression. And LGBTQIA plus people are three times more likely to experience a lifelong mental health issue. And if 40% of us are experiencing hate crime each year, then of course that's going to be contributing to the high amounts of mental illness that you see within the queer community. Um, so I think that that is also very relevant. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on this podcast. I would like to give you all an opportunity to shamelessly plug yourself or your organization. <laughs> yeah, so um, my Insta is at JJ Hollett. That's H-O-L-L-E-T-T. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of stuff around yeah, breaking up representation and telling stories. So yeah, catch me on there on Insta. Uh, yeah, great. I'm, uh, as I say, the charity's protection approaches. Uh, we're on Twitter at IBVPREV which stands for Identity-Based Violence Prevention. Fantastic. Uh, I've been Bradley Burkles presenting this. Um, I am an LGBT plus YouTuber. You can find me on YouTube and all social media platforms at Bradley Burkholz, Um, And that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y-B-I-R-K-H-O-L-Z as in zebra. Uh, thank you so much. This has been the Act on Hate Crime podcast. The Act On podcast is brought to you by Thrive London, the citywide movement to improve the mental health and well-being of all Londoners. Act On Hate Crime is the last episode of this series. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this series so far. We're really excited to bring you more episodes soon, so stay tuned and make sure you're subscribed.